Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Oscar Watch Podcast, the podcast where we look back at past Best Picture winners for your reconsideration. I am your host, Stephen Buja, and joining me, Amy Thomason. Amy, how are you doing this fine day? Bellissima. <gasps> oh, que belle. Is that, is that, I don't know, I don't know much Italian, but you do. A little bit. I know that. E molta, e molta stanca. Okay. Very tired and very and most beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That uh, that's a good description of a lot of things. A lot of people I know. Very tired, most beautiful. Fantastic. Uh, well, glad to have you on the show. Glad to be back. This week we are back in 2013 to discuss the best foreign language winner, The Great Beauty or La Grande Bellezza, a film perhaps you have not heard of, audience, Amy's not heard of. I knew about it only because it is on a list of films that have won the Academy Award for Best Whatever. And as always, I look forward to watching these movies because they are enigmas. They are mysteries to me. Whenever any, any any of the best picture winners, I... Feel like I've even if I haven't seen them, I feel like I have seen them because they are part of the canon. They're part of the culture. Certainly, the new ones there has they've been talked to death before before that. But the foreign language winners they kind of slip under the radar. A lot of them don't break into the mainstream here in America. Although when they do, they're very big. Like Life is Beautiful, for instance. That is a very large and big, important uh, foreign language film that. People know. So a film like Great Beauty, it's nice to have that experience of walking into a movie and not knowing anything about it, except perhaps not that, having heard your friends' opinions on yeah, it. You 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 feel very you walk in clean. You're very uninfluenced by this. I so I if it seems like I get excited about the foreign language films, it's because I don't know that much about the foreign language films, and I use this platform as a sort of education for myself and hopefully you the viewers and uh they are much different movies than say the movies that win best picture and we try to parse them out and figure out what's what's being said and what's what's happening on there and i think i am i have like a 50 percent success rate in knowing exactly what happens in a foreign language movie and uh but i look forward to discussing more of them as the weeks and months and years go on but the Great Beauty was directed by Paolo Sorrentino, written by Paolo Sorrentino and Umberto Cantarella. It stars longtime Italian actor Tony Servio, Carl, Carlo Verdone, Sabrina Farrelly, and Carlo Bucaroso, among many, many others. Uh, Sorrentino was also the director of 2015's Youth, starring Michael Caine, which I am told is an excellent, excellent movie, but... He has not done many English language films beyond that. And need I ask, have you seen the film? No, nor had I heard no. of it. Nor had you heard of it. Okay, and I will say, no, had not seen the film. Had not heard of it. So, ladies and gentlemen, stick around because this is going to be a fun discussion. And the Oscar goes to... The Great Beauty, Italy, Paolo Sorrentino. Uh, 
Uh, okay, thank you to the Academy, thank you to Tony and Nicola and all the actors, um, producers and the crew. Thank you to my sources of inspiration, Federico Fellini, Tolkien Heads, Marty Scorsese and Diego Armando Maradona. And um, thank you to Roma and uh, to Napoli and my personal great beauty, Daniela, Anna and Carlo. And uh, thank you to my brother Marco, my sister Daniela, and this is for my parents, Sasa and Tina. Thank you very much. Thank you. The Great Beauty won the Best Foreign Language Film Academy Award at the 86th Annual Show. That was its, in fact, only win and nomination, so can't talk about anything else, but we can talk about the competition, which has some movies, or at least one film, that some people may have heard of. What were they? The Broken Circle Breakdown from Belgium. Which, you know what? I have seen that movie. It, I saw it at the Tribeca Film Festival when I worked there, or I volunteered there. It's pretty good. It's a, pr it's a, pre it's a pretty good movie. It's a pretty I, good movie. I want pretty to have done that myself. I made some friends I'm still, I, I still chat with, and it was, a great, uh, it was a great experience. Did you meet De Niro? No. No, I didn't meet De Niro. Did you see him I at a distance? I don't think so. I don't think so, but you know his presence was there. You can you can just oh. feel De Niro throughout the entire place. Anyway, Broken Circle Breakdown from Belgium. The Hunt from Denmark, which I have seen, and I've heard a lot. I mean, that's articles written, people talked about it with Mads Mikkelsen, who was amazing in that movie. Mm -hmm. The mm -hmm. Missing Picture from Cambodia, which is in French, which I've never heard of, and Omar from Palestine, which is in Arabic. Yes. I think I have heard of Omar. I don't quite remember any of the details why. But there is one film that is missing, that is a foreign language film that everyone talked about in 2013. And that was the film Blue is the Warmest Color, the coming-of-age lesbian story from, I think, France? I think was French, it? too. I'm going with And not even nominated. Oh. Strange. Uh, which I think I think blue is the warmest color. I think it may have was either in competition for the Palme d'Or at Cannes, just like this film was, or it may have actually won. I don't know, but that's that's one of those films that you there were definitely articles written about, and it was on uh, Netflix or one of those. So yeah, it was I mean, like accessible when it came out. Yeah, there's a lot of. It was supposed to be one of the most romantic movies and. Right, but also one of the most depressing movies, and it's a beautiful and sad. It's a, everything you want in a uh, in a foreign language film. I would, I would imagine. <laughs> foreign language film about lesbians. Beautiful, tragic, romantic, tragic. Lots of lots of tragic, and you know, just uh, also but beautiful. If you would like to listen to more of our thoughts on the A6 Annual Academy Awards, that was the 2013 show or year. You can hear all of our episodes on it. We have talked about that year a lot. We've done the best animated. We've done the best picture. We've done so many films that were nominated. And we will probably come back at least once or twice in the future to that. But in the meantime, we are going to take a very short break and come back and discuss The Great Beauty. Stick around. 
you've mentioned that you've kept journals of, of ideas that you've had over the course of your 20s and 30s. I'm curious to know what final idea sparked in motion the entire writing of the screenplay? Uh, the idea that um, and, uh, it's a sort of a celebration of life in many forms uh, of it, of the, of the life, from so the funny uh, aspects of the life, uh, the tiring aspects of life. And uh, so it's a sort of um, a big picture about uh, how the life can be at the same time tiring and uh, funny and how the life is full of uh, useless things but at the end these useless things compose uh, the life and for this reason the main character that at the beginning uh, is uh, against his uh, own life at the end uh, decided to write a second novel exactly about the, the silly things that he has, uh, that he lives for all the movie. Yeah. Well, I can definitely say that most people probably do not know what The Great Beauty is about. So Amy, what is The Great Beauty about? Well, I wouldn't say there's a lot of mayhem in this one. There's some mayhem. But there's uh, a 63-year-old guy who like lives the high life starts reflecting on things. Yeah, essentially, really essentially he doesn't really think back to his past a whole lot it's he kind of goes from party to party and there's interesting conversations at each of the places he goes and then that's kind of the end okay. i will say yes except 65th birthday party not 63 i'm just just saying my brain go on why did i say 63 okay ah, who knows who knows um, yes, it is a story of reflection, uh, both personal and geographic. It is, in a way, kind of like the Dolce Vita. <laughs> in a way, there's this weird, there's this weird thing where the Italian movies we have watched, and uh, audience, you will have noticed that we have watched a lot of Italian movies, tend to also be about Italy in some way. Uh, when we get to the Dolce Vita, it's going to be amazing but you have um bicycle thief is basically an entire look at post-war italy uh you know cinema paradiso life is beautiful all the, all these things they, they end up they the italian movies tend to talk about italy a lot and this is this is no different this is this, this is taking the la dolce vita view of rome and bringing it into the modern the modern age uh personified by this character of Jep, who is played by the great Tony Servillo, uh, who has, I think, the second best party introduction in 2013. The first being Leo in The Great Gatsby. Uh, I think there's been no better way to introduce a character than having Leo hold up a glass of champagne with fireworks going on in the background. Like, that's just one of the most amazing things ever. But this follows a very similar, a similar line. And if, upon watching the movie, you notice that does anything actually happen in this film, you would be right to say, not really. It's a movie that is interested in thought and ideas. The idea being, there is Jep, our main character, who, upon reaching old age, he has been a 
interview a journalist writer for his entire career, having after having written one very successful book that people still talk about. It's an Italian masterpiece. And he is reflecting on the beauty or perhaps sometimes the lack of beauty in the world and how what what is what 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 meaning has he found in any of these endless parties that he goes to and all of these vapid weird postmodern art shows and theater works and all it's like what is he's, he's reflecting essentially upon life and upon the culture of Rome at this particular time and I am unfamiliar with have you been to Rome before I have I have is it was your experience of Rome like Jep's experience of Rome <laughs> I wish no I mean it, it wasn't terrible I mean I think I texted you. I don't even know if you read it or not. But like, I think the last Italian movie we did was The Bicycle Thief. I, I think it may have been Cinema Paradiso. Okay, well, yeah, I'm skipping Cinema Paradiso and going back to The Bicycle Thief. Okay. But you look at The Bicycle Thief, and I'm I'm trying to think of the word. I'm a Russophile because I love Russia and Russian culture. But I'm that way about Italy, too. Like, I... I love the clothes, I love the fashion, I love the music, I love the country, I love all the different cities and how they're so different. I love the art, I love the writing, I love food. Love it. Mm. Because, you know, you see these movies like A Great Beauty where it's just beautiful and stylish and they've got all the, and I love history and Roman history and all those things. But then you, and so you watch a movie like this and you're like, how could anybody not live there? Like when I went to Rome, I went to Roman high school, I went with five boys that I went to school with and like our Latin teacher and a couple other teachers, but I was the only girl on the trip. So, and I was a big nerd. I read too much. <laughs> I, I read too, too much as a child. So I've, I unfortunately have this like massive imagination and this love of learning. And I want to just, you know, when we read the Aeneid in Latin, I was like, oh my gosh, I want to live there. I want to be Dido. I want to live in Carthage. Like, I loved it. I was so, I went at the right time in my life. My, I was 16, totally a romantic. You know, we went for a gondola ride in the moonlight in Venice. Oh, God. With literally. And so, you know, part of me is, you know, I'm there with my, I'm on this gondola. This is Venice. I know, just Bear with me, folks. This is my Italian passion coming up. But our first night in Venice, and we all took a gondola ride. And I'm there, not with, you know, my beautiful diplomat lover, which in my 16-year-old head, like, that was my ideal. Like, my older English, you know, diplomat lover. Yeah. And But, you know, and I was with my 65-year-old Latin teacher and these five boys who I had no interest in and a couple other teachers. So there's 10 of us. But we're riding a gondola in the moonlight with the moonlight reflecting off the canals. And one of the other gondoliers in a distance is like singing in Italian. So the whole thing was like, Amy, this is your ultimate fantasy sort of. <laughs> and Rome was that way. And I love Rome. I've read I Claudius. I've seen the movie I Claudius. We studied uh, the orations of Cicero. So going and seeing the places where these people walked and lived and wrote and gave these speeches was just unbelievable. And we don't have that in the United States at all. That is, that is, that is true. The, the, the roots run differently in. And, 
and in all of Italy, which I felt more than anywhere else that I've traveled, Italy really represented the best of mankind. And the United States were very tear it down, build it up, make everything shiny and pretty. And in Italy, it's like they have this art that's been there for thousands of years. And when you see the statue of David, it's such a cliche, but when you act and you see it and you see like the refrigerator magnets of the statue of David and the t-shirts and the this and the that. But then you actually go and you see it and you're like, a human being actually made this. Mm-hmm. And it just blows my mind. And so when I think about Italy, I think about all of these big beautiful things whereas when you watch like the bicycle thief all you think about is how did anybody live here this is yeah. like the worst yeah. place ever everybody's poor no one has anything they steal your bicycle Come so on, i don't even know if i answered your question i just went on a big long tangent about my love you did you did you did in a little way and it does bring it back to the movie somewhat because jep uh he explains in the beginning that he knew he was going to be a writer. All of his friends were only interested in one thing, and that's ladies. <laughs> and but he he knew he he said he wanted to you know he loved what what was best in life the life was the smell of old people's houses. Like I knew I was going to be a writer. To do that, he went to Rome very young when he was just out of high school or college, or whenever. So he went at the ideal time when you fall in love with a city like that like rome you go to rome you ride you like you like you ride a gondola and you go all right this is this is the dream but then he he wrote a book and he never left he 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 stayed in rome and the party life took him over and he just sort of went along with it he got a sort of got swept up in the in the lifestyle that he failed to reflect on reflect fully on where that lifestyle was taking him and that's where his, the conflict in, in him now comes up where he goes wait a minute have i just been f- wasting my time with all of this surface level stylistic nonsense or is there in fact something there that i haven't seen so he goes through rome it's like a tour guide a catalog of all these famous and beautiful places in Rome and he sees them again in a new light sometimes he sees this these very crass things and there's beauty there and some beautiful things and just goes there uh, there's it's not as beautiful as I thought as as I thought it was and it makes for an it makes for an interesting your your experience as a younger person in Rome and his experience as an older person in Rome are not at odds with each other, but they're they're certainly different enough where I think it makes for an interesting juxtaposition. Because you, because we have, because we being young are, we love to be in like I'd love to be in Rome. I'd love to go. To, I'd love to drop everything, go to Rome, become a writer. Like who doesn't want that? But then to having been having been in Rome for decades, is that is that is that have you limited yourself somehow? But he also, I mean, it's not even just, and I think that this point was an interesting point. It's not just that he got swept up in going to the parties. He's like, I wanted to, like, be the party. Yeah. I wanted to be able to make it a failure if I didn't like it. It wasn't just he was some anonymous in the crowd. He wanted the party to kind of be revolving around him. And I think that that really, that little bit of dial, that little bit of, um, soliloquy i guess that he does yeah really drives that point home 
like, no, I want the party to be all revolved around me. And I want to be kind of, I want to be the party and have the power to like make the party a failure if mm -hmm. I wanted to. Yeah. And that, and that's what he wanted. And he certainly did succeed in that, but what did he gain from it? He, we we meet a lot of his fucking bougie artist friends and I, they are, they are just the worst. You, you just, Oh, you just hate them, and I've 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 always entertained thoughts of like I'm gonna be a high class artist, and then I look around at what that would make me and go, oh god, these people are just terrible. Because when Either I was way. a young girl in Italy, that's how I envisioned my life. I wanted to be Sally Bowles from Cabaret. Oh yeah, and just work, be a nightclub singer, and you know, travel and drift, and like that was like that would be amazing. What do you think Sorrentino is trying to say about the art scene in Italy and in among upper echelons of society? I would say he's definitely showing how silly and frivolous it is, although how also how enchanting and seductive it is. Because I know when I watched that first party scene, I was like, oh, I wish that was my life. <laughs> yeah. Because everybody there, and the one thing I notice about, and this is getting off topic a little bit, but in European films is that women look different in foreign films. Women are different shapes and ages and sizes, and they're all beautiful, but there's definitely a more eclectic vision of what is beautiful yeah. whereas in the united states it's always they're thin they're tall and they're 20 and they're 20 but in this it's like there was an older asian woman who had this gorgeous dress on and she's like leading the dance and there was um a heavier woman who also was beautiful and had this great hair and i i really like that about european films but it's but it is it's like who wouldn't want to be a part of that? Who wouldn't want to be in that gorgeous city at that beautiful house with the music playing and dressed in something fabulous? So you definitely can see that. Mm. But they also are insufferable. Oh, so insufferable. And the one that really hit me the most is like, are you fucking kidding me? The the guy who had the little girl and the kids are playing some game on the floor and he yells at some of the kids to go to bed and the girl's like angry. She's like, I just want to play. I just want to play with my toys or whatever. And he drags her and you don't really know what he's going with, but you're kind of like, what an asshole. And he drags her out and it's like he uses her and it turns out that she's an artist. She's, yeah. Quite and a good one too. He fuels, he fuels, her art is fueled by her anger. So it's like he purposely keeps his daughter up late when she's tired and angry and cranky. And she starts throwing paint at this canvas. And at first you're like, what? And then you realize she's making art. And while she's flipping her body around and slamming against the canvas, everyone's just standing around and like drinking champagne and watching. So in some ways, her making the art is a spectacle for people to watch and find entertaining, which is so weird. It's it's yeah, it's a it's a crazy. I am not schooled enough in uh, art 
to, to know, but to know, but I'm like, it's this weird performance art and you're part of, you're both part of the creation and the finished products because you see her, she's, she's throwing these cans of paint on there and you're like, what is like, what the heck, what the heck kind of bougie, weird, like modern art bullshit is this? But then you get a glimpse ever so briefly of what she does with that and i was i was taken away by it. she's like finishing it up yeah at she's the end. It like with her hands like oh shit that is that that's is, really that's really beautiful that is a large canvas and she that is a beautiful image she has there it, it's and that's what i love borderline child abuse yeah like, it's, it's, yeah it's true it's, it's like everyone's everyone's like putting themselves through the ringer because like suffering equals art you have this you have that most obnoxious woman at the beginning talia concept great name uh kudos on talia i I do love that name who's this who's talking about vibrations and whatnot and she like bangs her head against a wall and jep just sees through her bullshit immediately. It's like, what do you mean vibrations? What are you talking about? What does this mean? What do you mean when you say that? What do you mean? And she just breaks down like, I don't know. It just sounds, it just sounds like something I should say. And you're like, Jep, I am glad that you are appreciating and approaching the, the bullshit that is being presented to you and not falling for it. Because you're he's he's very he's very good at his job, which is essentially interviewing artists of all sorts and you know play reviews and whatnot. That to see him to see him take to see him cut through all the BS is is very wonderful. If it if even if it sometimes it's very painful. He is friends with a woman named uh, Stefania, who at this part at this after party she's talking about all of her achievements. She's written eleven books. She has four kids, and they're always. You know, she spends time with them, and they always have food, and she's you know still out, and she's healthy, and and, and everything. And he just goes she's very attractive. Oh, she's, yeah, she's she's not a young, fresh-faced babe. But again, Italians can show women being beautiful at, at forty at any age. I, I think I think this, this this might even be older. But then, you know, you know, she, her, and Jep are are sparring, and the Jep goes, "Don't, don't make me do this," and. He, he, in what would be, I think, if an American had done it, would have been come across as patronizing and wildly misogynistic. He, I still thought it did. I mean, it's, I mean, it's a little bit, but at the same time, it reeks of, it reeks of truth. And I think because he's an, he's Italian, and I know this would be very stereotypical, but like, they kind of just, they just, they just do that better. It, this, this takedown is, you try to say just kidding <laughs> this takedown is quite epic and uh just yeah without demoralizing or drink throwing or any yeah that. there's, 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 no, there's, there's really. no no it's not emotional nobody gets angry she just she just walks up and leaves after he says well you're you wrote 11 books they were all reviewed by the uh what the party the party oh, press you have a cook cleaner nanny everyone you barely even see your kids you're out every night what are you doing uh, just this this look at like look at your bullshit look at all the the stuff the stuff you shroud yourself in you enshrine yourself in and but his tone isn't is is really what what makes it bearable because he's just like really because you were your lover was in the socialist party and aren't they the ones that published all your books and reviewed all your books i mean it was very not like he was yelling or you know out for blood no yeah it's 
very very practical very matter of fact that's what makes it as you say bearable bearable but it was still pretty it was still harsh because i remember like damn yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Is 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 Jep? Is, is he a what? Do, what do you make of his character? Is he a is he a bad guy? Is he just an I ass? Like you didn't like him? I think he's an ass. Right. Because what's his life? You know what I mean. So for him to point out that oh everybody else is so borgy and all this, it's like well so are you. You this is your life too. So what makes you any better? Especially if you're claiming that it's so beneath you if you know better than all these people why are you still choosing to spend time with them why aren't you doing anything great see, and think, that's oh. that's what made me not like him see, i think i think he does know that his he is as vapid as these other people but he's but, not doing anything about it though. no he's not doing anything but he does but he does but he, does, he, but he, he, but he does he does acknowledge he does acknowledge it and he's a he's an ass. He's a real he's kind of a jerk, but he is to me a compelling and complicated jerk. And Servio is very handsome and very charming, and I like following no. him a lot. No. I do, I do, I I, re, I yeah, really I do. Great, I think he's gross. I I think he's I think he's going through some stuff. Could he be gross? Yes, I. But I think as as a main character, he's very. I like like wondering what he's doing he's because he's taken up the position as an observer almost for uh, through all for all of these beautiful and ugly things that he goes through but also he can't help but being a critic and being a kind of a dick about it which makes which makes him i think i think there's a real struggle in him between like yet yeah, this is my life i have helped enable these people but what the hell kind of life is this for all of us like why don't like we need to we need to do better and he's trying to figure out the best way to express himself i think true almost truthfully and not through all of the all of this just parties and dancing and you know clubs and and all this he's look he's what he's he's not he's not necessarily looking for beauty he is he is but he's also looking for a truth to art a truth to life and i think the fact that he comes he may come up with an answer by the end is what makes it makes it satisfying because if he came up with like oh this is this is the thing that is is all beauty all beauty comes from so therefore i should i'm going to pursue that but he he just tries to figure it out the best the, the best he can and i think that to me is what makes him interesting is that he like he likes watching things and i like watching things like movies that people have seen that are hard to get into i think but maybe worth uh maybe worth a revisit or two i feel like it would have been stronger if he turned some of the external loathing he had and turned it inside because he seems himself i think he loves himself a lot i didn't really feel like he did and I feel like he's accepted how he is like, Oh, it's okay for me to feel like to be like this because you know, I recognize it. Hey, I'm, I'm lame and bourgeois or whatever. And he kind of accepts it in himself, but he really turns the snark on to everybody else except himself. And what he did to Stefania, I think was definitely a sign of that. He seemed very judgy of other people and not as much time 
he seemed to accept how he was, but he wouldn't accept how anybody else was. I think he, I think he judged himself. He, he, and, he was constantly making fun of himself for never following up <laughs> his, on his on his debut novel or, or anything like that. He, he, I think I think he laid the hammer down pretty hard on himself as as, be, as best he as best he could as best he could for you know his character. To you know, me, it just to, seems like the reason he wrote he never wrote another book is that he didn't need to. He wanted to live the high life. He wrote a book that was enough to get him there, and it's like yeah, and that and you know and that and, and he acknowledged he that's exactly it. He acknowledged that he's like he he wanted to be he wanted to be the the main attraction at the party. He got that, and that's it. And but now but now but now he's thinking like is that are, are all these parties it? Is that is that all I have? I just feel like this has been done better, and I've seen it before. I didn't feel it. I just he just seems like a cold fish to me. Oh, I thought he was fascinating. I thought he was fascinating. Okay. Go Jep. Jep aside. Jep all right, Jep's not beautiful. Jep's not beautiful. He had one moment, and we'll get to it later, but there was one moment that I was like, okay. It was just one little moment. I'm like, I think I think I know the moment you're talking about. The movie itself, though, from a technical standpoint, beautiful or most beautiful. It reminded me a lot of another filmmaker that I love from another country called New Zealand. No, yes, Australia. Mr. Baz Luhrmann. Ah, yes. I got and it. I love, I love Baz Luhrmann. I want to go to a Baz Luhrmann party. Me too. I want to, I want to, I want to live at the Moulin Rouge. I want I want to look like Nicole Kidman in that movie. I want to wear all of her costumes. I want to live in an elephant and just be beautiful and all that stuff. Right. That's what it reminds me of. And I love it. I very easily could be like charmed and seduced into that kind of a lifestyle. Mm-hmm. I was amazed at how dynamic the camera work is in this movie. It never stops moving and usually that can be very annoying because when you think of the camera never stops moving your first thought is a Jason Bourne movie where they're just throwing it all over but this is more they're just it's like the camera is looking for everything it can in the scene and it's just sort of gliding as a almost as a ghostly observer around everyone even when they're talking it seems the camera is just ready to pounce and i there's something about the way it it swoops by which is very Terrence Malick-esque except instead of focusing on the instead of like having the 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 nature be the focus of the shot it is actually the people and the nature is in the background and it's meant to go all right we're talking about this and here are the here are these beautiful here are the, here are these beautiful things in the background as well i loved just looking at this movie first and foremost say whatever you will about like how you enjoy this the story or whatnot but throwing this movie on silent which was a disservice to the soundtrack first and foremost but just having it on the background you go oh my god this is amazing there's there are many beautiful things in here i was there are a couple of scenes i loved the disappearing giraffe I thought that was, I thought that was, I thought that was one of the 
it's worked so well, and Jep sold it completely. There and was... that other guy. That other guy. Oh, yeah, the other guy. Um, Romano? I think he's the one that sold it for me. I was much more interested in all the other characters in this movie. Jep was like, "Ugh, you're a sketchy old man." Everybody oh, else, no, had- no, everybody else had their had their interest, but Jeb, but Jeb was our Jeb was our was our linchpin. He right. was he was he was our he was the character that got to, that we got to see everyone else through. But Romano's Romano's great, and Romano is like Jep without the without suddenly the realization that man Rome like wait have I been doing things because Romano really just wants to be. Wants to go on stage. He's like, I just need like three nights to have this. This uh, I think he's doing. He's doing Faust or something. He's adapt. Yeah. He's a, he's a, he's adapting someone. And he has this this great scene at the end where he's he finally gets he finally gets on stage. He he gives out this great monologue about nostalgia. And I'm like, oh, that was that, that was wonderful. And it, the applause is tepid at best. And then he finally realizes that you know, Rome. Rome's not for me anymore, and he, and he leaves, and I think and Jeb, and he's fine with it. He's not yeah. like he's not sad. He's yeah. just like I'm leaving. It's like I gave it forty years. I need to go home. This is what is what has Rome ever given any of us? And it's a it's a realization that like I've been I'm I'm just thinking about it. I'm like I've been in New York for fifteen years. No, no, thirteen thirteen years now, and I mean, it's, it's given me a lot. But there was definitely a time when I thought, man, New York has not been giving me anything at all. I need to, I need to change my, I need to change my ways. And uh, the root, the roots one lays down. It depend, it depends on how deep they go. Like Jep has clearly he has withered roots here in Rome, and he's searching for maybe like, is this the place where he wants to stay? I think ultimately he does. He figures it out, but he has to go. He has to go through this this whole beautiful process of trying to figure out what does he want and he it's an it's it's i think it's a great i think it's a great adventure it's a great adventure it's a sad adventure there are moments of funny of humor there are moments where i just want to smack jep around he has this this great monologue where he explains the uh basically the staging of a funeral and i i thought I thought, yes, that's great, but man, you're being such—you're being such a jerk about it. But when it, when he does it, when he goes up and he waits for everyone to sit down, and he's just there at the at the at the funeral at the at the corpse, just looking in. Everyone's watching him, and he goes and says this beautiful line to the widow. You're like, God damn! Like I am go- like Jeff. I'm going to write this down. I'm going to use this for when I have to go to a funeral in 30 years because I don't want to go to a funeral anytime soon. But god damn, it was. It was it's like the dude's smart, and that wasn't my impressive part. Can I? Can I? Oh okay, yeah. Okay. What's your impressive part? What's your so part? for those of you who haven't seen the movie, he gives this whole monologue about funerals. Gauche to cry at a funeral unless you're a member of the immediate family. Right. Yeah. Like you need to be there. You need to be quiet. You need to be in reverence and respectful. But like you need to hold it together. And as he's having this monologue, there's like this woman to people in front of him who's like sobbing and he's just like ugh. so he's holding it together he says the thing to the wife he's a pallbearer he they pick the uh casket up they turn around and then you see him just close his eyes and you see the tears falling from his face yeah and then he's gone yeah because that's it that moment of him just closing his eyes and losing it is the best part in the entire movie oh I would say that there are a lot of great parts in this movie. 
Uh, that's he one of my favorite parts. But you know, but, most human you know, part of the movie is him crying. You know, you know what my favorite. You know what I think my my favorite most human part of the movie is. He is meeting the widow, the widower, the widower of the girl he fell in love with years ago. Jenny. Yeah, of, right. that's the girl he keeps flashing back to. Yeah, the the girl uh, Eliza or Elisa. Who, who always carried a torch for him and not her husband of, of 30 years. But she's dead now. And the husband is aware of the fact. Yeah, the husband's aware, and it's fine. It's become, they become chummy. As chummy as one Which is do. weird, and I found that that which, kind of took me out of the movie a little bit. Which is like, weird, and I'm going to say very Italian of them. Leave it at that. But what, 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 what I love, what I love, is that you meet, you meet, this, you meet this guy with his new girlfriend. And they're asking, oh, so what? And then Jeff asks them, so what are you what are you doing tonight? And they just say, we're just gonna open a bottle of wine. We're gonna watch some TV and probably be asleep by you know, ten o'clock. And Jeff then describes his night, how he's probably going to go to sleep when they wake up. But how lovely your life sounds. And I, as someone who is w- way more of a house cat now. <laughs> uh, I, I I thought, Jeff. I absolutely understand your awe of that because man, it's it is really nice being settled and just being in and just knowing where you're gonna be. And I I, I thought I thought that was that that was a great moment for me as a viewer and for Jeff as a character to understand that you know there's more there's more to just there's more to life than just flash and bang and parties and and, and endless nights. There's there are these quiet moments that Jep never never had. He never married. He never really had a serious relationship. He just flitted from from woman to woman to party to party and never could never ground himself. He never rooted himself as well as I think he thought he did. Whereas these people have taken it up so well, so fast and so easily. And I I, I really like that. I really really like that. I like that. However, and this is just me. Mm-hmm. I feel like the way that he said it, even though he did mean it and it was genuine, it sounded so patronizing. Oh, I didn't get that. And if someone said that to me, honestly, I would kind of want to punch them in the face. Yeah. I mean, admittedly, I think everything, every, everything Jeff says is patronizing. It really comes across as like, oh, that's so cute. You know what I mean? Like, oh, that sounds so nice. Well, bye. I'm going to go party now. It's like, yeah. Uh, Dude, I, didn't, I didn't get that at all. I didn't, didn't, I didn't, I did not get I that at all. It's just my aversion to this character because if someone said that to me, I'd be like, "Fuck you!" Oh no, no. He's the, I, 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 I felt genuine honesty and truth there. He was genuinely like, you know what? But that he's he acting did. like he's suffering about it. It's like, dude, fine, get a girlfriend then. Like. Get he over did, it. but then she died. Well, she sort of, she was sort of a girlfriend, then she died. It was. Yeah. And then you don't find that out, you you because because you yeah, think he's that that was that was really weirdly swept under the rug. I didn't I didn't quite how they like how they pre- they got rid of Ramona. Is just like she's because like, at the funeral he says somebody else he says someone else's name and you're like oh it's that guy and you're sad. Uh, well, at, then, well at the no at the funeral it's he's he's bringing Ramona to the funeral. At the funeral it's the son who was the son of um one of the one of the women. 
who's kind of crazy and off his off his rocker. He's you know depressed and he had meds. He he was he was in a car accident. He killed himself. Mm-hmm. And then Ram- Ramona dies sort of off screen because it's revealed that she has something that she's tr- and that's the reason why she's still stripping at forty two. She's had, needs the money to pay to help yeah, cure herself. And you know, oh, okay. I hope I look look that good in a few years oh. when I'm forty two. Jesus, I, I was like, yeah, you can, like you could do that until you're fifty. That's 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 fine. Oh my god. And yet, when you saw her up close, she looked like a forty year old woman. She looked like a beautiful forty year old woman, but she didn't look like she. I mean, her face you no, could she, see. Because... She had some lines. She was, but she was <laughs> still gorgeous. Still that long, thick, beautiful hair. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's there's so to me there's so much to take in the the beautiful people the beautiful scenery there's that uh, there's that little scene where it's the guy has a picture of himself that he took every day since he was a child and, he has, and it's just all along the walls I thought that was the most beautiful thing I've seen in cinema it was just magical the music you have Kronos Quartet playing the Beatitudes through these beautiful halls of you know Rome that you know, not many people people can get into because you only have access with a special key. It's just there's so much to take in and appreciate in this movie. I I I liked it, and now we now we come to come to the end. Is uh, did the Great Beauty deserve best foreign language film in 2013? Amy, what are your thoughts? No. No. Okay. And it's not just because I didn't particularly care for the movie. It I have seen the movie The Hunt. The Hunt, everybody should see. Okay. And not just because it's a good foreign film, because it's a great movie. Do you know the premise of it? I believe Mads, Mads Mikkelsen is falsely accused of what? Molesting child? like his best friend's child. Right, and then nobody... and That is honestly a movie that... Hard to watch. Hard to watch. Yeah. Yeah. But powerful. Harrowing. A movie that, if you ever wanted to do another foreign reconsideration, that one I think might be worthy of it. Okay. That's we'll just put, me, but we'll, no. Yeah, we'll put that on the list. I feel like, and it's a theme that's been done before, by Fellini. So, if this sounds interesting to you, go watch the Dolce Vita. Which we will watch La Dolce Vita in a future episode. There, I'm, I'm like very excited to revisit La Dolce Vita and have bring a critical eye to it because that movie is astounding. This so is good. an okay film. It's an okay film. Mm, okay, I am going. I have not seen The Hunt. I have seen The Broken Circle Breakdown. I am going to say that yes, The Great Beauty did deserve Best Foreign Language Film. I would. In my estimation, I put this up against several of 2013's Best Picture nominees. Uh, it this, yes, yes, this movie, it, it excited me, it shocked me, it it awed me, in a way a film hasn't done in a while. I think I think honestly, the last time I was this surprised by a movie, certainly on a technical level and emotional level, was Moulin Rouge. Baz Luhrmann. I walked into that movie completely cold and was blown away by just every everything on display. I loved the central thesis of The Great Beauty. I thought it was brilliant, well explored. Jep is a flawed and yet interesting character. I liked following him around. Technically uh, unrivaled, uh, even in, in a 
big budget American cinema, and I, I just couldn't stop even just looking at. It. I wanted to pause and just take a screen cap every every other every other scene. It was amazing, and I I I, I, I love I love this movie, and I am going to say I'm going to say I haven't made the list. This does have a chance of making the Stephen Beauty Top 100 whenever I get around to making it. So, wow! Yes, it, it's got a, it's got a chance. It's got, there are there are there are a bunch of foreign foreign films on there already, and this I could I could I could slot this in somehow. I need to I need to think about it. I really love this movie. You should check it out. Um, yeah, just it's uh, yeah, I think I think it deserved best foreign language film. I would I would I would nominate it for best picture as well that year. That's me. That's wow. me. yeah. Oh, that's a that's a big disagreement we have there. We don't always that's throwing down a, a gauntlet there, my friend. Yes, that's interesting. That's really interesting. You shock me every now and then. I I, I this try. and you're not real love for like Doctor Zhivago. That shocks me. That shocks that me you're too. Very tepid about Doctor Zhivago, and yet this is like. I'm going to throw it down. I One of your top 100. I said, I said possibly. I said, again, haven't made the list. I know I said I would make the list earlier, but I, I, I didn't get around to it. But, throw that, you're not a man of hyperbole. I I am a hyperbolic person. You aren't. So that I'm means something. That means maybe I need to go revisit it again. Okay. All right. But you know what? I think coming up, there is a movie we can both agree on. And that is next week, folks. We are heading to that hallowed sacred wonderful year 1989 we are finally getting into it we are going to discuss the best picture winner that year driving miss daisy and oh i can i could just oh she's she's stabbing her eyes out with her pen that's uh, that that can't be good call the doctor please 1989 begins in earnest we got some four-year reconsiderations we got some should have been a contenders we got it all for you driving miss daisy driving miss daisy starts next week Thank you so much for listening. You have been listening to the Oscar Watch podcast. Feel free to write us your thoughts on the great beauty, on Driving Miss Daisy, on 1989, on really anything. Ask us questions about how we are. Ask us questions about the Oscars. We know, Amy knows a thing or two about the Oscars, and we'll be glad to answer that. Write us at oscarwatchpodcast at gmail.com, and be sure to follow us on social media at oscarwatchpod and find us on facebook as well where amy will be talking about whatever it is you want to talk about she handles all of that and we thank her for it amy where can folks find you online besides a, a thomas and 11 on twitter all right next week oh, it's, if you thought if, if you thought it was weird we disagreed on this one then next week it's going to be a little more, a little more our speed. We're gonna, I think we might be lockstep in, in, in discussing our next movie. So until then, we'll see you on the red carpet. <laughs>